Hello and welcome to the Still Space Podcast. I'm your host, Executive Coach Mary Lee Gannon, where my guests and I share fun and simple strategies to manage yourself so that you can show up the way you want in work relationships in life and not default to past behaviors that leave you disappointed. The Still Space is where you learn to take an intentional moment to challenge habitual assumptions that hold you back with enlightened truths that boost your genius. We transform drama, resentment, doubt, unmet expectations, and self-sabotage to executive presence, self-control, deep sleep, healthy choices, and more connection with people who matter while it still matters. It's time. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me. I want to ask you a very important question, a question that is troubling most of my clients. Are you tired of chasing success and feeling exhausted and disappointed? If you are, I am here for you. I just created the Mindful Leader Satisfied Life Circle Executive Coaching Program just for you. And here is how it is different from my other work. This is an executive group coaching program. You don't have to qualify what type of executive you are. If you are in a leadership role, this is for you. It is for you if you feel disrespected, ineffective, and frustrated about not being recognized for your value. Are you in a new role or reaching for something big and notice unresolved issues are in the way? You can't stop thinking, saying, or doing something that doesn't serve you? Let me tell you what is part of this program. You get six-month access to weekly small group coaching sessions. And this is for individual attention for me. I'm a 19-year CEO. I'm an executive coach certified by the International Coach Federation, the highest recognition you can have internationally. And the sweet spot is you get to see other leaders being coached. You may not even want to be coached that week. But that's okay, because I'm going to record the calls if you can't make them, and you can watch them. If you are coached on the call, you'll enjoy watching yourself be coached on the call. You'll have instant access to my six months of five-star leader training. And this goes through all of the tenets of executive presence and emotional intelligence, not things that you can get in business school or in books. This is personalized to you. There are workbooks in there that make this in tune to you personally. And at the end of it, you have a leadership impact plan that you'll have for life. You have instant access to my quick tip video library. These are two to three minute videos that I have recorded in beautiful locations wherever I've been speaking across the world. And a full section in these modules on those who want to change their career, their job, their title, if they're looking for a new industry, all put together in one place. You have a private community in this group where you can post questions, post highs, post lows, ask for advice, and we all weigh in together. I will weigh in on every single post that is there. 
And the special bonus is that you get my hard copy of the Flow on the Go Weekly Planner. This is a well-being planner. You already have a calendar. You don't need a calendar, but part of a mindful and satisfied life are mindful daily practices, and this is going to help keep you grounded. Now, this is not for you if you already have everything figured out, if you have too much doubt in the way, if you're not willing to make a decision, not for you. But what do you get at the end of this? You're respected, you have job security, you have executive presence, you can advance, you have fulfillment. You can be the quickly sought after and trusted choice for any team, project leadership, promotion, or hire. You confidently project a profound identity, your signature strengths, your value proposition, your personal mission, your executive presence, and your measurable key accomplishments. You make more money. You maneuver the politics, bureaucracy, personal agendas, cynicism of any corporate setting with grace and with strength. And you stop wasting time on busy work like hiring resume writers, getting another degree, going to conferences, relying on self-help books, ruminating, browsing jobs, boards, blaming and complaining. You finally start doing the most important work more efficiently. You're the must-have in any situation, not just the okay person. You have self-control in your life choices, eating, exercise, sleep, relationships. No more snacking down your disappointments. You move from the past stigmas and stereotypes of too old, too young, too nothing. You are in your zone of genius. You let go of needing to be right because you're getting it right. Now, there are two ways to work with me with this program. One is in the circle, and the other way is to additionally be a private client of mine. And if you are in the personal coaching program with me, I will also be available to you every single day through email. You can email me any question, any challenge you're having at work, you want me to look at your resume, you want me to look at anything, I'm happy to do that. That's part of the personal coaching part of this program if you opt for that option. I look forward to getting to know you as part of the circle. Just go over to maryleegannon.com, click on coaching, and I'll see you on the other side. Hello, friend, and welcome to episode 40 of the Still Space podcast, How to Be the Agile Leader when you're not sure how. In this episode, I'm going to unravel what it is to be an agile leader, how to manage yourself in the areas that don't come naturally to you, and I'm going to explain how a team mantra or manifesto can become the guide that grounds everyone, and that a carefully balanced system of agility and stability lends itself to more efficacy. Humility here is key. Let's start with what an Agile team is and what an Agile leader is. The principle is if an organization wants to continually outpace its competitors, it needs more than lots of Agile teams. It requires the company's top officers, most if not all of the C-suite, to embrace Agile principles, that is the ability to be able to change direction midstream. An agile leadership team must focus on striking the optimal balance between standardizing operations and pursuing innovation, right? Because your risk people are saying, 
oh, that's too risky, it's going to cost too much, we're going to end up in litigation. And the innovative side is saying, but we need to do this to keep pace with the market. So there's a balance going back and forth. The challenge is that leaders on the team have to play multiple roles, build and run the agile enterprise, operating systems, oversee business units and functions, serve as members and decision makers, and handle the crisis of the moment. So that ability to go back and forth does not bode well with people who are very command and control style leaders, who like a lot of predictable situations, but leaders need to know how to become agile, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Building an agile enterprise does not mean replacing traditional operations with agile teams everywhere. Agile is primarily for innovation, and the testing and learning it involves can compromise critical operation processes. So the agile team isn't necessarily the traditional ops team. Thus, building an agile enterprise means finding the right balance between standardizing operations and pursuing sometimes risky innovations. And if you are, say, running a restaurant, you would want to make sure that the food and service were consistently high quality, right? And the decor was always clean and appealing. Yet at the same time, you probably would need to innovate, right? For example, that might be new menu items, new kitchen or front of the house procedures, new features such as customer personalization program. And if you pay insufficient attention to operations, quality goes down and costs go up, harming both customers and the business. And if you devote insufficient attention to innovation, your restaurant becomes boring and unable to adapt to a changing environment. There's no set formula for finding the right balance. Every company and every activity within each company will differ. Typically, the Agile leadership team includes part or all of a company's executive committee. At a minimum, it consists of the CEO and the heads of finance, human resources, technology, operations, marketing, the individuals most critical to the components of the operating system. Executives must simultaneously play multiple roles. They have to build and manage the Agile Enterprise's overall operating system, diagnosing which components need to be improved and figuring out when and how to strike the optimal balance in each. So this takes significant still space management because senior executives of large companies, they know a lot. They brim with self-confidence and these are characteristics that helps make them successful. They're traditional risk takers, but the same characteristics can turn into liabilities, and some leaders believe they know more than they do. Some issue orders without having all the facts. An agile environment has a way of challenging such leaders. Imagine that, a workplace where you could ask anybody at any time, maybe we should look at this and not have them be defensive. People who work on agile teams, even if they don't rank high in the organization, are likely to respond to orders with comments like these. That might be the right answer, but we'd like to test it first. Or something like, well, our data shows that customers don't value the feature you're proposing, or we tried that idea and rejected it, here's why. And that frankness, that candor, 
that ability to say the truth without there being repercussions, that's an agile team. Agile, in short, requires humility from leaders. I don't mean a false humility, but rather the sort that accelerates learning and bolsters the confidence of each team member. Humble people recognize the futility of predicting the unpredictable and instead build rapid feedback loops to ensure that the initiatives stay on track. They understand that good ideas can come from anyone, not just from those with the highest status. They view their jobs as helping team members learn and take responsibility rather than telling every team member what to do and how to do it. Agile leadership team has to adopt such attitudes and consistently follow them or the initiatives will ring hollow. So you might say, well, how do I build this kind of team? How do I build this agile leadership team? An agile leadership team should document the principles and behaviors that members will adhere to, such as a manifesto or a mantra. This is based strongly in what they collectively agree that the agile team should look like. So one facet would be individuals and interactions, not processes and tools. We set a clear ambition, the what and the why, and metrics for success, but delegate the how to the team. Now that's a, a, that's a shift. Think about that. Here you're saying we empower teams and believe that the right answer lies not with us, but with them. Okay, what if another part of your manifesto was around customer engagement and rigid contracts? Collectively, you might say, we encourage teams to seek feedback from a diverse set of customers and promote a culture of rapid adaption to feedback. Essentially, this is saying we believe that things can always be improved. Great. Another part of your mantra might be around working solutions, not excessive documentation. Maybe the goal is we strive for good enough working solutions rather than demanding perfection. We protect teams so that they can focus. We rapidly unlock key impediments. Whoa. So we're actually looking for the things that are in the way, knowing that we're going to do something about them. You're essentially saying we support teams in breaking down complex problems and frequently iterating in order to rapidly deliver solutions. Another area might be around flexibility, not concrete plans. How about we celebrate learning and create a safe environment for teams to take prudent risks and test unconventional hypotheses? Essentially saying we embrace ruthless and constant prioritization and stop activities that are not yielding results within the defined time frame. So we don't have to just keep adding things onto the list of our staff. We're actually focusing on what might be a good thing to take off the list and stop doing altogether. Now I want to give you an example of a leader going from a command and control style of leadership to a coaching style of leadership and how it served him. As a board member and chief technology officer of Bosch Power Tools, Hank Becker was asked to launch the division's agile transformation in 2016 as part of a larger enterprise-wide initiative. He set up agile teams and developed collaborative approaches consistent with agile values and agile principles. 
Becker noted that he had to change himself as the team changed their way of working. A few courageous leaders had given him some feedback that he had never heard before. They told him that they wanted to be led differently. Imagine that. Imagine saying that in your organization. His leadership style, they said, wasn't bringing out the best in people, nor was it positioning power tools, the organization, to win in the marketplace. They cited times when he undermined their authority or unnecessarily delayed their work. Imagine that, saying that to a chief officer in an organization. The experience, he says, was a click in my brain and in my heart. He realized he needed to change his attitude and his behavior. And this is cited in a recent article in the Harvard Business Review. So we began a process of self-reflection and asked more and more for feedback. Imagine that. Now you're getting negative feedback. And instead of getting defensive and starting with the blaming and complaining and thinking that there's something wrong with the other people because of the discomfort that you're feeling, having to look inside yourself and feel that maybe you're not doing a great job or that you're inadequate, he actually turned inside and looked at that. At first, people were dubious. Was this just a passing fad? Slowly, Becker began to build trust and broaden the group of people giving him feedback. Oh my gosh, imagine. You're now asking more people to give you negative feedback. Yikes. He shifted his focus to concentrate on the potential of his people and the organization. Note that he took the focus off of himself and shifted into a different space where he was focused on the people within the organization, the talent that reported to him, and having the organization be better because they were more empowered. They had more of a voice. He started using positive language, asking, how can we, instead of focusing on why something couldn't be done. Somebody comes up with an idea, Half of the people at the table are going to say, oh, we did that before. It didn't work. But he's the one saying, well, how might we try it? How can it be done? He engaged in two-way communication instead of issuing one-way direction. Write that down. What if you engage two-way communication instead of one-way direction? And that's the difference between coaching and managing. Managing is where you tell people what to do and how to do it. And coaching is where you help them find a way that makes sense to them. And then to demonstrate this, his commitment, he gave up his office and his parking spot. He also stopped asking people to make him PowerPoint presentations. And I'm sure they were absolutely elated because we all know how long those take to put together. Instead, he began relying on the information they were already using. It took time, but he became a different leader, the kind who could successfully guide an agile transformation. He's now the CEO of Bosch Power Tools. Surprise, surprise. Agile teams often cite leadership and culture as the greatest barriers to the successful scaling of agility. But most leaders aren't fighting being agile. They simply haven't understood how it applies to their roles or how to perform those roles in ways that enhance agility. Agile leadership simply demands that executives create a carefully balanced system. And that system is balancing stability and agility. 
It's possible, but we have to ask, how can we? Not, this won't work. An agile leadership team views development of the agile system as an agile initiative. In fact, it's the most vital of all of the agile initiatives. The view is a continuous improvement program, not as a project with predictable endpoints or fixed completion dates. They realize that going too slowly may fail to achieve escape velocity, and the changing too fast will create chaos. Yeah, that's common sense. So they sequence and balance all the components, recognize the value of role modeling agile behaviors, again, role modeling agile behaviors, and appreciate that how they make decisions will be as important as the decisions themselves. How we're making these decisions and how we're executing them. Who's at the table? Are we weighing in with everybody? When it all works, they improve business results, unleash the potential of employees, and enhance their personal job satisfaction. We are all hemorrhaging out employees because it's a very competitive environment now to get employees and even more so to get them to stay with you. Let me give you an example of how this agility played out in my office during COVID. In addition to my coaching practice, I am also the president and CEO of a hospital foundation within a 95,000 employee organization. And this is a healthcare institution. So COVID hits and the nurses at the hospital are scared. This was before we had a vaccine. Healthcare professionals were quitting, retiring early. Everybody was afraid. It was a really difficult time. And these are very dedicated professionals who were putting their lives on the line every single day to save people. But it was a tentative situation. I'm president of the foundation at one of the organization's hospitals. So I make grants, uh, we manage a, a pool of assets, we fundraise, we try and help people in crisis, but right now our employees were in crisis. And everybody else in my industry was just frozen. They didn't know what to do. They weren't going to raise money. They weren't going to do anything. They were just sitting back and we weren't doing that. In my office, we took risks. And what did that mean? We were willing to fail. And we launched many initiatives. We launched a loan forgiveness program for staff who now had their children at home who would have otherwise been in school. We gave them money for childcare. And if they stayed with us for a year, they didn't have to pay that back. We asked the private foundation community to support our emergency fund so that we could help our employees who were in crisis. They were now having to have all kinds of cleaning products and things at home to sterilize themselves when they went home from work. And we would be giving the staff gift cards to purchase those. So we raised a significant amount of money. We got out of the gate first by fundraising for our healthcare heroes. We ended up winning an award for that and being spoken very highly of throughout the industry because of the risks we were able to take. But we sat down collectively as a team and said, okay, what's likely to happen? What are the systems that we need to have in place to make this happen? How can we do this 
most easily for us and most thoughtfully for the organization, our board of directors, etc. And we knew it's like a startup. We, we knew that we weren't going to get it right every time, but we weren't looking for perfection. We were looking to do the right thing, not be right, but to get it right. And we had some great success. People were calling us, asking us what we were doing. Other organizations followed. We were very proud to be able to help our healthcare workers in crisis. And it made us feel a little bit more part of that initiative instead of being a business unit during that crisis. I also had to look at my strengths and how they can be a weakness. I'm very innovative. I'm quick to launch. I know that about myself and I always work with my clients to understand where their strengths are and how they can sometimes be a weakness if we don't pay attention to them. So I was acutely aware during this process that I am innovating and going out there and we're trying all of these new things. Are they all making sense? So in order to evaluate that, I had key partners. There was a litmus test and I would run it by certain people to see if maybe we were being too risky or we were, and everybody really stood behind us because when you're doing the right thing, it's really difficult to be criticized, right? Keep that in mind. If you're trying to do the right thing and it fails, fail early and discontinue. We launched an initiative in my office in the last couple of weeks, and there was something that we overlooked that we didn't realize and it offended somebody. Oh, we understand that now. We're going to regroup and launch again, keeping that in mind. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking to do something of meaning to bring great results to the organization and the people we serve. So that humility that I talked about is really important. It's important to, to know who you are, know your strengths, know how they can be a weakness. Surround yourself with people whose strengths might be your weaknesses and get out of their way and invite that feedback. How can I better provide you with you, what you need to be successful at your work? Do you need to meet with me more often? What should the format of those meetings look like? Let's define and quantify what we will go over every week so that it's predictable for you. If you're going to meet with your team members, set the tone. First, be present. Turn off email alerts. Put your phone away and silence text notifications. Remind yourself as the meeting begins that it is fundamentally about your employees' needs, their performance, and their engagement. As you go into the meeting, check your emotional state. Research shows that the mood you bring to a meeting has a contagion effect, so start out with energy and optimism. Reiterate your goals and hopes for the meeting, and then move to some non-work-related topics, rapport building, wins, or appreciation to generate momentum and foster feelings of psychological safety. Don't view your one-on-one -on -one meetings with your employees as merely another task on an already long list of something that you have to get done. That affects how you show up, how you listen, how you collaborate, how engaged you are. Listen more than you talk. The biggest predictor of a one-on-one -on -one meeting success 
according to any research, is that the employee's active participation as measured by the amount of time that person talks during the meeting. They should be talking more than you. The ideal is anywhere from 50 to 90 percent. The agenda will have some influence on that, but you as the manager should carefully avoid taking over. Let the employee talk. In addition, listen actively to fully understand your direct report. Before you speak yourself, display genuine interest without judgment, without any preconceived ideas. Ask questions that clarify and constructively challenge that viewpoint. Encourage your team members to provide thoughts on the matters at hand and potential solutions to problems without you inserting why or how that won't work. Stay vigilant about your body language. Is it upward and open? Add your perspective. Once you've listened closely, there will be moments in the meeting when you need to contribute your point of view. A one-on-one provides an excellent opportunity for you to give honest and specific feedback on that person's perspective and action. It is also a good place for you to engage in collaborative problem solving by truly understanding whatever issue is at hand, pooling information, identifying root causes, and creating a solution that both parties feel good about. If the team member solution is viable, even if it's not better than your own, it's important that you go with it. If it makes sense, give them the opportunity to try it and tell them what you have found and experienced might happen so that they may be on the lookout for it. And if it happens, let them fail and fail early. Just say, if it doesn't work out, we'll regroup right away. No need to keep doing it. As you work through your established agenda in these meetings, allow the conversation to move organically as needed to provide value. Focus on the items that are most critical. If you don't get to all of the items, that's okay. Just move it to the next meeting. Let your employee know at the outset that the real-time changes be made to the agenda if they think it needs to be. Also, to best connect with each direct report, consider that person's preference regarding communication, collaboration, and so forth, and adjust your leadership approach accordingly. Some people like to meet at the beginning of the day. Some people like to meet at the end of the day. Some people like some time to process and then send you a summary. Some like to receive that summary from you. End well. Clarify takeaways and action items for both you and your direct report, including how you will support next steps. When both the manager and your employee document these, chances are better that the actions will be carried out. Right? You're going to document what you're going to do. That person is going to keep a list of what they're going to do, and you're going to keep a list of what you're going to do, so you both can compare and you both come to the meeting as peers. Finally, show gratitude and appreciation for your employee's time and start and stop on schedule. That's respectful. Now here are some sample questions for these one-on-ones, and I think this is helpful. I share these with my clients all the time. Work style preferences. Tell me about the best manager you've ever had. What did that person do that you thought was most effective and helpful? This question helps you understand more what that person's looking for, what resonates with them. Here's another question around well-being and engagement. What is your favorite part of the job? What's your least favorite part of the job? 
Here are a couple of things to help understand roadblocks, obstacles, or concerns. Is anything slowing you down or blocking you right now? How can I help or support you with that? Great questions. Around culture and team dynamics, what aspects of our team culture do you think we should maintain, change, or work on, maybe eliminate? Around asking for input, here's a good question. What feedback from me could be helpful? Any particular projects, tasks, skills? Would you like more or less coaching or direction from me? Very direct and gives you insight as to what that employee needs, which is going to be different than the next employee. Around career development and growth, what would you like to be doing in five years? What work are you doing here that is most in line with your long-term goals? So you can see if that person is satisfied with what they're doing in terms of their long-term career plan. And regarding personal connections, what are your favorite podcasts, books, or hobbies? These are great interview questions, too. Regular individual meetings with each of your team members may feel like a burden. I understand that. But meeting for 30 minutes each week with one person adds up to no more than 25 hours over the course of a year. That's not too high a price to pay to bolster your team's and your company's performance, support retention, prevent you from spending just as much time or more recruiting and onboarding replacements, and help each of your team members grow and achieve. I must tell you, your competition is doing it. This is the way leadership is moving. People like a lot of feedback, and we have to meet with them as leaders to get their insight and give them that feedback and come to the table with curiosity. And when we do that, we find out a little bit more about ourselves, about our leadership style, more about our team, build a more cohesive team. It's more fun for everybody. It's the standard in which leadership is moving right now, and if we're not doing it, we're being left behind, and other people are being noted for doing it, and that's not where you want to be because you're an agile leader. You understand the balance between risk and innovation. Wishing you a still space moment to remember just how awesome you are in your leadership and your ability to grow and develop every single day. I'm glad you were with me today and I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and get any of my free publications at my website, maryleegannon.com, where you can also learn more about working with me. Thank you.